indicated, where the word is mentioned, where you see the church actually there, actually gathered together for a biblical case about these people being covenanted together in relationship to Christ and to each other. And we want to return there this morning. I didn't get finished last Sunday. My intentions were to finish with that last Sunday. But I would invite you again to open your Bible or take your copy of the Word of God to the New Testament book of Acts. Again, my purpose is not to expound each of these passages, but to just hover over them for a moment in order to remind us, maybe to inform us if we don't know, but then to remind us of how the first church, how they gathered, who they were, why they gathered, what they did when they gathered, what they did when they were apart, the persecution that came against them, the opposition, how Christ saved, how he added to the church, how Christ disciplined the church whenever sin and impurity entered that, how they reached out to help others, how they cared for one another, how they prayed together, how they planted churches, how they evangelized. It's all here in the book of Acts. Let me just briefly mention these first several ones we looked at last week. And I'm not going to go in detail because we talked about them last week. But we're talking about understanding church membership. First from Acts 2 and verse 1, verse 5, verse 9 and 11, through 11, we identified the church in Jerusalem. It's Pentecost, fulfillment of prophecy. The Holy Spirit comes, is poured out upon the New Testament. Believers and the church is born. Peter tells those folks there who are listening to repent as he preached, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be baptized. What he is saying to them is, if you identify with Jesus, then you are a marked off people. You're a publicly identifiable people. There's something about these believers in the book of Acts. They are not secret Christians. They are publicly identifiable. And part of that identification is they are identified when they assemble together with other people of like precious faith. In Acts 2.41, the Lord adds to the church. There's addition. He brings others in through salvation and adds them to the church through genuine conversion and commitment to Christ. So from this first sighting, we saw that those who follow Christ meet together. Second, we saw that God's word is being fulfilled and those who follow Christ are a part of that fulfillment. Thirdly, those who followed Christ are referred to as the church or the called out assembly of God. Fourthly, we saw that God provided leaders for the church who exercised spiritual gifts and through their calling and through the proclamation of the word of God and the gospel. Fifth, these people were centered around one message and one message only, and that is Jesus Christ is Lord. He called for repentance. He called for belief, for forgiveness of sin. He called for baptism and for identification with Him and His church. 
Six, we found from this first church in Jerusalem that the church kept records. They counted. They knew who belonged to them. They knew who was added. Numbers are mentioned. 3,000 and then 5,000 is mentioned. They're not counting heads like preachers and churches and evangelists do today in order to appear to be successful. They are keeping records because it is important to know who belongs to Christ and His church. They know who they are. That's the message of the early church. Number seven, they settle into a new everyday lifestyle of devotion and teaching and preaching of God's Word. On the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, they assemble. They come together for the preaching and teaching of God's Word and worship, fellowship. They break bread together. They partake of the Lord's table together and they pray together. Just a few minutes hovering over the opening chapters, the first four chapters of the book of Acts, and this is what we see. Also in Acts 4, secondly, we see that the church is already experiencing persecution. They are growing and they are sacrificially giving, but they are also being persecuted because they identify with the name of Jesus. But that persecution brings great fear. And they are feared by those who are watching them. We also see that in Acts 5, hypocrisy has already crept into the church. And Ananias and Sapphira die because of their hypocrisy. Thirdly, we hovered over chapter 9 of the book of Acts and saw that a notable conversion takes place. Saul of Tarsus, who is dedicated, his life is dedicated to the persecution of Christians. He is converted on the Damascus road and things forever change as far as what God is doing now through the church. And then that blessed passage that I read, fourthly we see that God provided in Acts 9.31 a time of rest for the church, a much needed time of rest. And what an encouragement to us to know that whatever the church is going through, whatever period of time that church is in, that Christ provides peace and rest for His church no matter what is happening. It seems like an insignificant statement, but it is so important that we understand that. So that's where we uh, had arrived last Sunday when we came to a close. I want to ask you this morning to return with us and we're going to move up to Acts chapter number 11. As you're finding your place in the Scripture, I want to stress again that my purpose for approaching uh, New Testament church membership is not just to talk about the subject for a few weeks and then move on to something else. As I've stated before, we've come to a time in church history for our church and we've come to a time in church history itself that church membership must be addressed. It must be adjusted to be scripturally accurate and correct. It must be renewed and it must be fixed to be biblical. It's time for you and I who identify with this church as members, uh, it's time that we understand what that implies, the responsibilities that has with it, the accountability that carries with it, but also the blessings and opportunities and the benefits that carry with it as well. It is also time for those who identify with this church as members but have no record of faithfulness. It's time for you to search your heart 
And first of all, see if you are truly converted. And if you're not, then the message is hear the gospel and repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you do profess Christ as Lord, then ask yourself why you are not a part of Christ's local church, which is biblical. If you have failed Christ and His church, then you should repent and be restored. If we, as Wesson Lord Baptist Church, starting with me all the way down, if we have failed church members, then it's time for us to repent and to be restored as well. That's what it takes to be a biblical church. And I mentioned last week, if you want to see a picture of that, go to the book of the Revelation and read about the seven churches that are mentioned there. The message of repentance is clear from the body of Christ. The body of Christ must repent. Yes, there are people who are unfaithful to this church, people who have never taken seriously their church membership. But yes, there have been failures on the pastor's part and church leadership part in trying to pray and help restore those. So this is about all of us. This is not, not about a few people that are high and mighty and better than everyone else. This is not what this is about. This is about Christ and His church, a church that He bled and died for, a church that He called one of the most precious metaphors He, metaphors he used is He called her His bride. We are His bride. I mean, nothing more precious and valuable could have been said. And this is serious to be a part of, of His church and a part of His family. And before any biblical change can take place in us as a body of Christ, it has to take place place in us as individuals in that body. And that's why we have chosen to take a couple Sundays and look at these passages in the book of Acts where the word church appears in the verse or the word churches in plural is recorded. In Romans 15:4, the apostle Paul stated a significant principle concerning the purpose and ministry of the scriptures. He said this, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans 15, 4. Now what Paul was speaking about primarily there in context, when he mentioned those things that were written aforetime, he was talking primarily about the Old Testament. But the principle applies still to us today. What has been written in the Word of God is, has been written there for our learning. What we are reading about in these passages that we're stopping at and looking at, we are reading that so we might learn what the early church did. We're learning how they were sent out. We are learning how they were formed. We are learning what was on their heart, how they loved. We are learning how they disciplined believers that were among them who had lied or were living in hypocrisy. We're learning how they handled persecution. We are learning how they sacrificially gave. We are learning how they love. We are learning how they evangelized. What their meetings looked like when they came together. And that's just some of the things that we are to learn from the Scriptures. Now most of us know best how we, the things about church in relation to how we were raised. I remember a very heated conversation I had in my first pastorate with a man who came to me one time. I had, I had about 45 in Sunday school, and, and the Sunday school superintendent actually taught 
a Sunday school class, and he came to me, and he said, a Sunday school superintendent should never teach a class. And I said, based on what? He said, that's the way it was in my home church. That's the way I was raised. And I said, well, that's fine. I don't know anything to say to you other than the Sunday school superintendent here is going to teach a class because I don't have anybody else to teach that class. And I said, if you can find me verse, chapter that says the Sunday school superintendent shall not teach a class, then we'll make changes. We all know how we were raised. We all know the things that we think about church and the things that we presume about church. Some of those things are absolutely biblical. Some of those things are somewhat biblical. And others of those things are purely traditional that have no biblical basis. They're not evil or wrong in and of themselves. They're just not applicable to New Testament church and New Testament church membership. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm interested in what was written aforetime. I'm interested in what Christ said He wanted His church to be. And Paul also stated in that principle that we do that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures. And because of that, we might have hope. Paul said, when I go back to the Old Testament and read the Scriptures and then look at what God is doing now, Paul says, it gives me hope, it gives me comfort, but it requires patience. It requires strength to be able to do that. And again, my purpose this morning is not to expound a particular passage or to do a series on the doctrine of the church. That will come later. But my purpose is to look at the early church, see the importance of what it meant to unite in regenerate church membership, people who were truly converted and people who had covenanted together to worship. If you're looking for a verse that says the preacher opened the, opened the doors of the church and people came down and they were voted on and they joined, you're not going to find that in Scripture. That's not just like that in the Word of God. You will find the right hands of fellowship mentioned in Scripture. But what we see is that this that we do has somehow digressed into the same mentality of joining a rotary club or joining a uh, a non-profitable charitable group or something of that nature. We are not in that category. We are the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. We are His bride. We're His body. We are His representation here upon the earth. We are in covenant together to worship, to obey, to fellowship, to give, to serve, to evangelize together. So this is not about the church at large. This is not about the church you and I grew up in Specifically, this is not about the church across the street or down the road. This is about West Lenore Baptist Church. This is about us and how we are related to Christ and how we are related to each other. And I know many, of, many people, many of you have your special things you won't dealt with. You have your special areas you won't dealt with. I want to see this nailed down. I want to see that nailed down. We've taken an aerial view of Acts to show you but it is just as important. The areas that you may think are not important, they are just as important as the other areas. And that's what we want to be this morning is scriptural in every area of life. And this is about us. And my prayer is when we are finished in a few months, each of us, I hope you're already doing this, but each of us are going to spend time in prayer. And then we're going to ask ourselves, do we want to be a member of Western Orr Baptist Church? I pray your answer will be yes. 
And I pray that you'll be willing to commit to church membership as the Bible defines and that you will cherish the covenant relationship that you have with Christ and that we have with one another. So the fifth one, we begin in Acts 11, 19 through 26. And you see now why I can't cover any territory. I spend too much time hovering on that on ground, right? But I wanted to go back over that. But look at Acts number 11, and let's read verse 19 through verse number 26. Acts 11, verse 19 through verse number 20, or Acts 11, Acts 11, in verse 19 through 26, but primarily verse 26. The passage is 19, but let's look down at verse 26. Then when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, with the church, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now what you have here in Acts 11, 19 through 26, as we hover over this particular passage, we see churches in Syria, we see churches in Asia Minor, and beyond. Go back up to verse 19. Now they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen or Stephen traveled as far as Phenus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And then that's where tidings comes uh, to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Word got back as to what God was doing. So what we're seeing now is local churches. They're springing up everywhere, Syria, Asia Minor, and beyond. And it talks about that. They assembled in verse 26. They assembled themselves with the church. And that is where God's people who have come to Christ and turned to the Lord as defined in verse 21. And they have turned unto the Lord through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is teaching us here that those people, they assemble themselves with the church. And so that's what's happening. The good news of people believing the gospel is again declared back in Jerusalem. And for a full year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. And it says they taught great numbers of people. In other words, these Syrian Christians are the real deal. They are the real thing. And they are showing that reality by meeting together and by opening their hearts to the teaching of the Word of God. Again, these Christians prove that they care one for another. Look at verse 27 and 28 of Acts 11. We'll move down just a little bit. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And again, these things are documented so they historically can be proven. In other words, word got back to the church that there was a famine. These folks were in the midst of a famine. And they're going to prove their care. Look what it did in verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The early church proved they cared one for another. And their care extended across national borders. 
It extended across racial borders and racial boundaries, social boundaries and social borders to churches beyond their own area. This large famine hit the land and the church in Acts 11.29 sent relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. I'm very much aware that there are some people today who think the church only exists to help with social issues and with physical problems in life. I understand that. That We understand that's not primarily why we are here. But I am not going to stop showing love and care for my fellow man simply because other people have misused that. As a church, we care about people. And just like these early believers did when a famine hit. A famine, the Bible says here, this dirt throughout the world had hit. And these people that have the ability are giving and supplying whether it's a famine, whether it's a flood in Kentucky, a hurricane, whether, whether it's a mission home in a foreign country that's devastated by a hurricane or something, God's people show love and they show care. That's what the early church did. That's what is said here in the book of Acts. And they did it right. They sent relief unto the brethren. They did it through the proper channels, by the hand of the church leadership, and through Barnabas, men at Barnabas and Saul, men they trusted. And they knew these things would be handled properly. Church, we not only are a people gathered together for worship and fellowship, breaking of bread and giving and evangelizing, but we are gathered together as a church which gives us the ability to love and care for others and express our love and care in tangible ways. Christian love and sympathy as expressed within the church, that's a love that cannot be expressed by anyone or anything else in the world. I do appreciate people who do sacrificial things, but I want to tell you something. Love shown and love sent from the church of Jesus Christ. There is no other organization. There is no other society. There is no other group of people that can do the kind of work like the local church can do when she does it in the name of Jesus Christ. And the early church did that. Go over to chapter 12. We not only see the church spreading in Syria, Asia Minor, and beyond, but as we hover over chapter 12, which is a more familiar chapter to most of you, despite moments and seasons of God giving rest and peace, the church again is facing opposition and persecution. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, after we just read Acts 11, 27 through 30, where the church is, express, the church is sending relief to people who've been hit hard with a famine, you would think everybody would say, Man, don't you love the church? Don't you love the church? Man, these people are giving. These people are sharing. These people are doing. Don't you love the church? But chapter 12 begins with that word now. Now. About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex, what? Certain of the church. In other words, he was going after the leadership. He was going after the ones that he felt like was keeping this thing going. What Herod didn't know was it wasn't James. And it wasn't Peter that was keeping everything going. Thank God it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had already said the gates of hell shall not prevail. But he goes after, he kills James in verse 2 with the sword. James is persecuted, a martyr for the cause of Christ. And James, the brother of John. And it pleased the Jews because these men are preaching Christ. And the unconverted Jews want nothing to do of that. His intentions were, of course, to kill Peter after Easter. Notice verse number 5 as we hover over. What do we see the church doing? It says in verse 4 that he apprehended Peter, put him in prison, delivered him, put four quartonians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to kill him. 
Now, if verse 5 had been written in our modern day, it would say that Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but the church picketed success, the church picketed continually and consistently outside the jail of Peter. Or the church got petitions to give to Herod to let Peter be delivered. Maybe those have their place. But as we hover over Acts 12, the early church believed in the power of prayer. And they prayed. The Bible said in verse 5, and this is, this is a precious verse, prayer was made without ceasing. Look at this. Of the church unto God for Him. Of the called out assembly unto Him. Unto God for Peter, prayer was made of the church. Followers of Jesus Christ. People who were in a covenant relationship with Christ and had covenanted together. They, prayers were made of the church. Read carefully those words. The church, in a collective sense, is stirred here. They are burdened. They are broken. They are aroused, if you will. Now, this is not a collection of disconnected groups, each representing the interests of a few. That maybe has its place every now and then. But when it comes to the most serious issues of life, brother, the church doesn't need to split up. The church needs to come together in prayer. And that's what they are doing. How desperately they needed Peter. James has already been killed. Peter is one of the leaders of the church. Saul is in the shadows. He's on the horizon. But oh, how they needed Simon Peter. How they needed this seasoned servant of God who had come through about all of it now. For Peter to have exited at this point could have been devastating for the church. And they come together in prayer. Now I'm very much aware that not all of the saved people were gathered here on that day because the Bible tells us that many were gathered there praying. And I, I'm aware that, uh, that everybody that was saved could not have got in this house where, where they were gathered on that time praying for Peter. I'm very much aware of that. But they were not a disconnected group of people. And we don't want to be that here at the church. We don't ever want to be disconnected in that fashion. Many were gathered together, the Bible said, and they were praying without ceasing for Him. They weren't praying for Herod to be overthrown and for their, their candidate to be replaced. They weren't praying for that. What does your Bible say? They were praying for what? For Him. They wanted Peter Delivered. That's what they were asking for God to do. And that's what happened. God delivered. You know the story. And Peter was delivered. It says in verse 12, many were gathered together praying. As a matter of fact, he shows back up at the prayer meeting. And they are still praying for Peter. So as we hover over Acts 12, we see the church in prayer. And I want to move on, but I want to ask this question to every every member of Western Orr Baptist Church, what would have to happen that would cause you to want to gather with God's people and pray? What would have to happen in life that would cause you to want to gather with God's people and pray? I think back 
over my life. You know, Wednesday night prayer meeting in Baptist churches was started back in World War II when mothers met on Wednesday evening to pray for their sons that was overseas fighting. That's the origin of our Wednesday night prayer meeting. It certainly got a long way from that. Uh, I, I remember my dad, told, I asked dad this the other day. Dad, my dad's 96 and I, and I said, dad, I'm going to ask the church this question Sunday. What would have to happen that would cause you to want to gather with God's people and pray? I said, can you remember at your home church at Needmore Baptist Church, when, when did you ever see this church filled just for prayer? And dad said without even pausing, he said Wednesday nights, he said during World War II, he said you couldn't get in. He said people would just come and leave, and he said the church would be open for hours. And uh, he, said, uh, he said that was, that was basically the only time I ever remember that happening. You remember 9-11? You remember that September? I, I remember the president asked that church would be open. I went to the church I was pastoring at that time, opened the church, and I remember sitting there on the front steps for nearly four or five hours, and two people came and prayed. What would have to happen that would cause you to want to gather with God's people and pray? Do you want to see change at Western Orb Baptist Church? Do you want to see the church do what uh, we've talked about thus far? That we preach the gospel? That Christ be the center of everything that we do? That all of our members be converted, regenerated, born from above? Do you want to see us have love and sympathy for a lost world? Do you want to see us plant churches? Do you want to see us reach out and evangelize? Do you want our worship services to honor God? Do you want us, when we break bread together, for Christ to be honored and us to be edified and strengthened? If you are wanting to say a hearty amen, let me tell you what you can do better than amen that. Pray. Pray. That's what is happening in the early church. This is a pivotal point in the history of the early church. And as we hover there, we hear them praying. Look at chapter 13 and verse number 4. We move. It said, So they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit departed unto Cilicia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Look at 14 and verse number 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. What we're seeing here, let me read verse, verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord on whom they believed. The church is planting other churches. Do you see why Herod wanted Peter to die in Acts 12? Do you see why they told Peter and John not to preach in Jesus' name in Acts 4? The church is here to spread the gospel. The church is here that Jesus Christ be preached. And that's what these men are doing. And now they are planting other churches. In Acts 13 and Acts 14, verse 20 through 23, they're confirming souls in verse 22, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, they are praying and fasting. They are setting up church leadership. As we're moving from chapter 12 into 13 and 14, you're really covering decades as far as time. And Paul is planting churches in Cyprus, Asia Minor, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidia, and Antioch. Then he takes a second missionary journey and he plants churches further west in chapter 15 through 18 that I'll not read this morning in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, and others. And then on his third missionary journey, over in chapter 18, 
verses 23 through 21. Over there, he takes a third journey to strengthen many of these same churches. It's what he's doing. That's how God is working in these churches. The church is planting other churches. Across the street today is a church that this church planted, started here in the basement. West Lenore Hispanic Church. It started here in the basement, if I'm telling that right. I think I'm right on that. They met down here, and then you purchased this property and built this building, and they are there ministering. If I understand correctly, there is a church in Brazil that this church helped plant there, and monies that you have given for other plants across in different areas. Those days should not be over. They must continue. But the church is not only praying, but they are planting other churches. Again, do you see why Herod wanted to stop that right there? Because this thing's going to spread. Number 8 in chapter 14 of Acts, verse 23. Let's swing there quickly. Acts 14, 23. I read it just a moment ago. And when they had ordained them elders in every church... And had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Every local church had ordained elders. Since the churches were in the beginning stage, the need for leadership was urgent to help these believers grow and do God's will. So Paul and Barnabas appointed men to help them get well established. Elder leadership is scriptural. It's mentioned in relation to the church. I'm not going to read all these today because we'll talk about that later. But Acts 15, verse 3 and 4, Acts 15, 22, Acts 20 and verse 17 talks about that. If you are wondering why we don't deal with elder church leadership now, the answer is simple. Elder church leadership comes from church membership. If you appoint leadership from a weak membership, guess what kind of leadership you're going to get? Weak leadership. Think about it. You appoint your leadership from your membership. If your membership comes from something other than Christ, then all you have is a Christless membership. It is the gospel preached, Christ believed, that makes people a part of the body of Christ. From that body of Christ comes leaders that lead the remainder of the body of Christ to evangelize and multiply and plant other churches preaching the same gospel. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. You can't go down the line to number four and pick out something and go back and correct. It has to flow the way God wants it to flow. If membership is not taken seriously, then leadership will not be taken seriously. The two work together. If conversion, I'll talk about, preach about next Sunday, if conversion is not biblical, membership can't be biblical. If membership can't be biblical, evangelism, caring for the poor, sacrificial giving, coming to get, none of it is biblical. If it's not all biblical, every local church had ordained elders. Do you remember in Acts 6 when the first church needed servants to help with the daily distribution of food. You remember that? Some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That was a big thing in that day. And the Bible says in Acts 6, here's what was said. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out. And here's what I want you to remember. Look ye out among you. Look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. Look you out. Look ye out among you. If I believe anything about the body of Christ, I believe this. Christ supplies His body with everything that body needs. I believe that. 
Part of my duty as a pastor and your, your shepherd is to help understand, see that leadership, and help you use your spiritual gift for the glory and the honor of God. And as of this morning, as of this morning, by God's grace, this can't be limited to family preference, personality preferences, individual preferences, or this has always been mine kind of preference. This has to be what takes place in the body of Christ. And as people grow and people use their gifts, then the church flourishes as God has placed it here to do. There's just some hovering over the book of Acts. We could hover on and on. But let me sum all this up. One thing is crystal clear throughout the book of Acts and the epistles as far as that's concerned. To be a Christian is to belong to a local church. To be a Christian is to be covenanted with a local assembly of people. No one gets saved and then wanders around by him or herself thinking about whether or not to become a part of the local church. That's not in the Bible. People repent and they're baptized into the fellowship of a local church. Are there situations where there are saved people where there are no people? Yes, we have missionaries. We have people in places where there are no number, great numbers of people. I understand that. But the biblical pattern is to be with God's people. Submitting to Christ as Lord means being united in a covenant relationship to Christ's people. It's automatic. It's like being adopted means you quickly find yourself among a bunch of people who love you and want you, although they never knew you, and they treat you as family. Has enough evidence been given to you from the book of Acts to convince you that a professing Christian who has taken up his cross and followed Christ and following Christ, that he should be a part of a local church? Has enough evidence been presented? If not, I encourage you to take your Bible, search the Scriptures, and search the scriptures, and then come and tell me what you see. Furthermore, I'm not going to cover this today, but if we are not supposed to be united locally, what about the one another passages? What about the passages like this? And I'm not going to read the verses, just the references. Romans 12, 5, 10, 16. Romans 15, 5, 7, and 14. Romans 16, 16. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Ephesians 4, 2, 25, 32. Ephesians 5, 21. Colossians 3, 13 through 16. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Hebrews 3, 13. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. James 5, 16. 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10. 1 John 3, 11. Those are just some of the passages in the New Testament where the words one another are mentioned. How can we love one another? If we're not together. How can we exhort one another. If we are not together. How can we pray one for another. If we are not together. And then if that's not enough evidence. I'll throw this in on top. What about all the New Testament epistles. Go home today. Read the opening chapter and the closing chapter. Or the opening verses and the closing verses of the epistles. What about all of these epistles that begin and end with greetings to local churches at Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, wherever, and every one of them mentions individuals that make up those 
churches. What about 2 John? To the elect lady. We don't even know who she was. But she was an individual that was a part of that local assembly. I think the case is made clearly in Scripture for regenerate church membership. And I think it should be approached not from the definition in our minds of membership, but I think from this day forward we should approach it here at Western Lore from the idea of covenant relationship in Christ and with each other through His saving grace. Let me close by reading three key verses from the book of Acts that I've already covered, highlighting and listen for the words, church. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Acts 12, 1. Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Acts 14, 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. There are things that we need to assemble and we can only do when we are assembled. There are things that we are going to face and it's going to be persecuted and it's not going to be about the preacher. It's going to be about the church. It's going to be about all the church. And then there are things that if we don't gather together and rehearse among one another, a door of faith will not be opened unto other people. You cannot talk about a local church without talking about its members. It's like trying to talk about a nation without its leaders. It's like trying to talk about a family without its parents or grandparents. Sometimes when I do funerals of individuals, especially husbands and wives, and you people, you know who I'm talking about. There's some people you can't talk about without mentioning both of them. They just, you know, it was like that uh, when my former deacon's wives passed away this past week and I'd written a letter to their family and I couldn't hardly say her name by herself without connecting it with her, with her, with her husband. That's, that's just the way that it works sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, in our church membership here, how, do you, how would you talk about Sonny Michael without mentioning Peggy? They go together. I mean, they just go together, right? And dozens of, of others, they just go together. Well, so does church members. That's the way we should be. And it's not because we deserve that. It's because Christ has birthed us through the womb of His suffering and His great salvation. And our identity is in Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone. We're going to close in prayer this morning. Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to look at entrance into the church, how we become a part of the church, and that's through biblical conversion. We're going to look at that, and we're going to ask you to pray, and I want you to pray between now and next Lord's Day. I have never preached to try to get people to make second conversions. And I don't think very highly of preachers and evangelists who do. I know men who have made a living going into churches and getting people to make second and third professions of faith that are unbiblical and unwarranted in that person's spiritual condition. 
Any of us at any time can be talked into things. But I will say this. Conversion is the most important issue of life. And you need to search the scriptures about that. And find out whether you are based on scripture. Not on how you felt in a service. But on the word of the living God. We never move on feelings. We never make commitments on feelings. If you do, you get in trouble. We make our commitments on the Word of God, on the truth of God. There's a heaven. There's a heaven today. There's not a heaven because I feel like there's a heaven. There's a heaven because God said there was a heaven. I believe that. God said that. And there's a salvation because God said that. We're going to be looking at conversion, which is the only entrance into the church. Father, I want to thank you again this morning for the privilege to assemble Lord, the miracle of this, that we're able to assemble and just gather as God's people. Lord, there are people here today who decades ago would would have never wanted to have been here, but because of Christ and His cross, now they don't ever want to be away from God's people. They want to meet each and every time that we assemble together. We thank You for that and that work of grace in our hearts. Lord, we have took a view, just an aerial view. There is so much more down below. But we have taken an aerial view of what it meant to be a part of that early church in its good days, its sufferings, its persecutions, its disciplines, the rejoicings, the additions, the victorious prayer meetings where you answered prayer and delivered, the churches that were planted, Lord, the offerings that were given, the people that went out and helped people in famine and served and the teaching, the dedication of the elders and the early leaders who for a year would stay in a place and help people understand the gospel and who Christ was. Lord, we stand amazed at that and astonished. But yet, Lord, we know that all that was possible because you saved these believers, you filled them with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, And they obeyed your word as best they knew how. Many of them died because they were faithful. But many lived to keep spreading the gospel that eventually reached Europe and eventually reached this country and eventually reached many of us who are here today saved by grace. Now, Lord, I don't know where you want West Lenore ministry to end up. I don't know where you want it to reach out to in the days to come. Thank you for our past. Thank you for the work that you have done, that you're doing now. But Lord, there's a future for these young couples, a future for our older couples, a future for me, a future for all of us gathered here today as the church. And we want to fulfill that and we want to do it biblically. And I know, Lord, that these things were written that I read today for our learning. And Lord, give us patience And give us comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope that your church will be to your glory and honor. I pray again for every family. I pray for every active member of this church. I pray for every inactive member of this church. I pray that we would all search our hearts, search your word, that we would be open to whatever you would say to us. I pray you would raise up from this body of believers, men and women who are willing to help us go through this process. And help us to do it in love and compassion. And help us not to seek our own but yours. 
Help us to do nothing for vainglory or pride, but all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Again, watch over our families that are in need. And for these that have grief today, be with them. For our homebound and those in facilities unable to be with us who love this church, I pray you'd bless them and encourage them and strengthen them. I pray you'd be with Brother Ed and Wayne and Gary as they travel. Help them this week. Give them protection and strength. And Lord, I pray that they not only would be a help physically, but may their lives minister spiritually to those they come in contact with. And we want to tell you again this morning that we love you and we thank you. Now help us today, we pray, for it's in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad as the choir sang and David wrote, He lifted me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet on a solid rock, established my goings, and put a song in my heart, even praise unto our God. And I'm glad, he, I'm, glad I'm in the church. I'd rather be here on her worst day than out there lost on its best day. Thank God for being in Christ. If you haven't told someone you love them, pray for them. Think about it. Let them know you care. Maybe something you can do to reach out and help. But do pray and ask yourself this week, what would it take for me to be willing to gather with this entire body of believers and pray? What would it take? All it should take is a request. But ask yourself that this week and pray one for another. I love you, thank God for you, and I want to remind you that if it hadn't been for Christ, I'd have never known a one of you in this building. Even my wife, I didn't know she was in the world, but it was through the church and through the gospel that I met her. I'm not kin to any of you that I know when I came here. We'd have never known each other. Some of you grew up knowing each other. But we'd have never, I'd have never known you if it were not for Christ. I thank Him and I praise Him. And I'm glad I'll know you forever because of Him. And forever we'll be in heaven, not being glad to see each other, but being glad to see Him and worship Him. Thank God for His church. Let Him know you love Him and care for Him. You're at liberty. Thank you for being here.